Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Welcome to South Valley. It is an opportunity to come before the Lord and raise our voices to give Him praise. We want to welcome you online if you're watching. We want to encourage you to come to your feet and give God some praise this morning. Raise the roof. Come on, church. Put those hands together. Put these words up. Come on. I've got a firm foundation. Solid ground, nations rise and fall. Kingdoms once strong now shaken. We trust forever in Your name, the name of Jesus.
Holly, how we doing this morning, everybody? Oh my gosh, so good to see you. Let's, we're just changing it up a little bit. Y'all can have a seat. Y'all can chill for a little bit. You were just getting your praise on, so now you need a, need a breather for a second. Well, on behalf of the staff here at South Valley, just want to welcome you guys. SVCC exists to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you're here on campus or you're with us online checking us out, we are here to help you and to support you in that endeavor. And so if you've not yet filled out a Connect card with us, we want to be able to help you with that step. Whether it's to baptism or a relationship with God or just answering your questions about how you can plug in and serve and use the gifts that God's given you, we want to help you with that. So if you wouldn't mind, check us out. You can do that in the Church Center app or you can go to svcclamore.org slash connect or even fill out one of the physical cards here if you're with us on campus today. And then on your way out, we have the donation stations. You can just drop those right on over. So we're happy to be able to serve you in that way. So one of the many ways that we can help you with that next step is through that app. So we want to make sure that you take that step. Um, many of you guys know, uh, just, you know, gosh, well, five months ago, my daughter's gonna be five months tomorrow, which is really crazy. And God has been so faithful to just serve and provide and to shepherd us as, as parents. And one of the deepest desires that Deanna and I have as brand new parents it's to see Addie to come to know the Lord, that she would have the capacity in her heart to acknowledge Jesus as her Lord one day. And we, as her parents, want to make and take that step together. And so one of the ways that we can, can do that and take that very seriously is through child dedication. And we are having a child dedication um, for the first time in a very long time, y'all, with all that has happened. We are excited to do that. On Mother's Day, May the 9th, both services were having child dedication. And Deanna and myself and our daughter and anyone who's wanting to take that step with their child, whether they're a newborn child or just you just got children in your household and you want to take that commitment in front of the, the church body. We're, we're not talking about you know, taking your child. It's not like Simba, you know, like we're not doing that. But what it is, is it's a commitment on your part as as someone who's wanting to raise their child to know Jesus Christ, to take it so seriously that you're willing to say, you know what, we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus' help. We need our church family's help. So we hope that you'll sign up for that. Uh, you can do so on the Church Center app uh, and to be ordered to, uh, to get into that. And we would love to be able to get that information to you. So if you've not downloaded the Church Center app, by the way, you're going to want to do that because there are so many wonderful ways to stay connected and to make sure to get what it is that you need in terms of signups, uh, checking in your kids early, uh, giving, all of that kind of stuff. The Church Center app's the way to go. So make sure you download that. And then also, uh, speaking of uh, giving, we just want to remind you all that that is still uh, on and popping. You can give through the Church Center app. Uh, you can give online. We have some different ways uh, that you can give. We're on your way out today um, from the Worship Center. We have those donation stations by the doors. And guys, that's just a spiritual discipline that we have as a church family. And if you're here and, and or you're checking things out online and this is your first time, we do not expect you all to give. We're not trying to get your money or nothing like that. That's not what we're here for. We are here to worship the one and only true king. And one of the ways that we can do that is by our giving. And so as SVCC family, that's just a, a discipline that we carry on. And we pray that as, uh, as we do that, that God comes alongside that work and does a tremendous work to bless communities and to bless uh, the efforts that are happening in terms of our ministry partners. So I hope that y'all are ready to get your praise on some more this morning, you guys. I really do. God is great. God is faithful. He is King of kings, Lord of lords, and he loves you immensely. So let's get back up on our feet, y'all, and let's praise the Lord together. Y'all have a great morning.
God is a God that just works in great ways. Amen. Again, just a reflection of as we come into his presence, he is worthy of praise. And I think the thing that becomes difficult is we in our human condition sometimes do not want to praise. Because we're constantly looking at ourselves, we're constantly looking at our problems, and we're not looking at God. We don't realize how great he is. There's a scripture that says this, in our weakness, he is strong. So if that's the case, man, I want to be weak all the time, but I need to give it up to God and not try to hold it, amen? Because God is a God of love, God is a God of life, of hope, and of great things he restores. Lift these words up. You give life, you are love. Bring light to the darkness. You give hope. Come on. You restore every heart that is broken. Let me hear you. Great. Amen. Come on. You give light. You are light. your bed. 
chair, whatever it is, come on. We sing all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, yeah, these bones will sing. What? And all the earth, come on, sing it up, sing all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. Church, even louder. All the earth, come on, we sing. And all the earth will shout your praise again. Hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Come on, we're gonna do this again. Come on, church, even louder. One more time, church. One more time. All the earth, shout it out. Come on. Yeah, and all the earth will shout your praise. It's your bread. To you, holy Lord. Come on. Amen. Hey, so here's a challenge. I'm just saying, man, I, I believe in the power of worship, man. If you don't know this, musicians were at the front of the army going into battle. Like praises were being sung, right? So if you go into the battle this week, man, sing praises. Say, devil ain't going to get me down. I'm pouring out my praise to you, God. If you have someone in your life, just go up and praise and give them prayer and praise over them. And just, man, I'm telling you, it changes your perspective. Yeah. Devil flees, man. You start singing praises to God. He's like, okay, I don't want any of this. I'll leave, you know. Man, it's awesome. I don't even know what to say. I just, I guess we need to pray. It's just a good time. Mm. Yeah. What a blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. We praise your name. Thank you so much for giving us a voice. Thank you so much for giving us a time to come together and just raise our voices in proclamation of the God that you are, Lord. Great are you, Lord. Lord, we just pray that as we hold on to those words, help us to keep that perspective. Let us not let go of who you are. Let us keep you at the center of our lives, Lord. 
our eyes focused on you. Lord, we know that in our weakness, you are strong, Lord. So there's nothing that could come against you, Lord. So whatever comes against us, we hand to you and allow you to work through, Lord. If there's something on our hearts this morning, we lift it up to you. Help us not to hold on to it. Help us to let go of it. Whatever it is, if it's anger, frustration, if it's hurt, if it's sorrow, Lord, whatever those things are, we just give them to you. Allow you to work through those things, Lord, and allow you to work in us. Pray that we can be a reflection of who you are to the world around us, Lord. Help us to make a difference. If there's one heart this morning that, that needs you in their life, Lord, I pray that they would just take that step of faith to walk towards you, saying, I want you in my life, surrendering whatever they're holding on to and asking you into their heart, Lord. Pray for every heart in this room. We look forward to how you're gonna move this morning. We're excited about what you're doing, Lord. So we give it to you in your name, amen. Amen. Good morning, South Valley. Please have a seat. My name is Tim Brown. And it's good to be back with you for those, well, thanks. I appreciate any applause. <laughs> that, that rarely happens. So I'm going to tell my wife, honey, they normally applaud for her. And so I'm, I appreciate that. It's good to be back with you. I'm the executive minister of Growing Healthy Churches and also the lead pastor at the Well Community Fellowship in Modesto. And for the last little over two years, Growing Healthy Churches is a network of about 140 churches that you are a key part of. And when you started going through a pastoral transition, you ask us to come in and help. That's one of the services that we offer. And boy, has it been a journey. So Pastor Gilbert's been here helping you. Um, we, in the process, when churches lose pastors, uh, we start a process of trying to recruit pastors, try to interview pastors, tell them about how wonderful your church and stuff is. And man, what a journey it has been for you as a church. And I'm thrilled that the guy that we thought would be a perfect fit with your church got a 100% vote last weekend. So, Ricky Hemi and his family, uh, I know they're very excited to be here. And hopefully, hopefully what we're, we're thinking is that to, uh, somewhere in maybe late July, early August, he'll be able to join here full time. In the meantime, he will be here over a few weekends to preach. So that'll be exciting. I know what it's like, though, that you have to wait a little bit longer. It, can he not come sooner? Have any of you thought that? I mean, but listen, I think it is so wonderful that you have a church here and you have leaders here who have given him permission to leave well at another ministry. Because you firmly believe as a church that God has been guiding you over the last two years and even taking you sideways sometimes, right? But the same God who brought Ricky to you at the right time is the same God who will be here over the next few months. Do you believe that? I firmly believe it. And so we're excited with you at Growing Healthy Churches. And we want you to be excited and view this time as you wait for Ricky and his family to move here full time. View this time <clears throat> excuse me, as a time of preparation. Uh, I remember when I proposed to my beautiful wife, Jen... And then we set our wedding date. I wanted it to happen the next day. And there are certain times you pray that Jesus won't return, right? And I'm like, Jesus, you better not return before the honeymoon. You know what I'm saying? I love you, Lord, but come on, let's, let, let's get this, this wedding. And so it's that preparation time between engagement and when the actual ceremony was that was very important. And the same is true for you as a church. It's in the waiting that God often does his best work in us. 
All the time, He is good. And so what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to work with your church and continue to work with the staff and prepare you so that when Ricky gets here full-time, he just hits the ground running. And part of that preparation is what we're going to talk about today. So I have a question for you. Have any of you ever made the wrong assumption about somebody? So you think somebody is, you know, a real jerk, and then you get to know them a little bit, and you go, oh, wow, really... I really like that person. Maybe some of you felt that way about me, right? I don't know. Who is this southern talking kid from, not a kid anymore, but, you know, but I kind of like him now. I hope you do, because I want you to like me. I do. (laughs) We'll see after today if you still do, but. So, you know what it's like to think somebody's a jerk, and they turn out to be great, and you also know the opposite to be true, right? You've made an assumption about somebody, oh, wow, that's a really good person, and they turn out to be one of the most manipulative, hurtful people that you could be around in your life. Am I right? See, our assumptions drive our behaviors. So, what I assume will determine what I do and don't do. Our assumptions... Our beliefs drive our behaviors. Now, a few years ago, uh, when Super Bowl commercials were really, really good, there was a series of Super Bowl commercials that I thought were absolutely fabulous that get to the heart of assumptions and how our assumptions, what we believe, impact what we do and don't do. So for the next two minutes, enjoy these four Super Bowl commercials from this one company. Let's see if you remember them. Patient has a fractured fibula. Given him a well, sedative. So he can be able to go home tomorrow. Daddy's gonna be so excited. That killed him. What are they asking? Well, that's a lot of money for a deck. Well, I hate to tell you this, but you're getting robbed. Uh, did you hear me? You're getting robbed. All right. You see, what you believe, even though it may not be true, drives what you do and don't do. Our assumptions drive our behavior. And when it comes to the topic that I'm talking about today, there's some assumptions that are driving some of our behaviors. You see, if a church is going to move forward, it's got to be healthy financially. 
But one of the topics that's most often avoided in a church that makes pastors quake in their shoes is the issue of money. There's the assumption that money should not be talked about in the church. That's just something that's too personal, which seems odd to me. It makes some very uncomfortable. And for those of you who are the, maybe here for the first time at church uh, at South Valley or you're watching online and this is your first time online, uh, you're, and you think, well, all the church ever talks about is money. Well, come back in three weeks because we'll be finished after next week, okay? <laughs> but I think this makes a lot of sense. Our assumptions about money drive what we do and don't do. We think that it should not be talked about in church, but look at just some of the facts about money in the Bible. Jesus spoke about money and possessions in 16 of his 38 parables. That's 42%. What would you do if Pastor Ricky spent 21 weeks talking about money and, and possessions? There are 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. We are commanded in Scripture never to put God to the test with the exception of one area in Malachi 3. He says, if you bring the whole tithe, which means 10%, into the storehouse, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and bless you beyond your wildest dreams. And I'm not talking about financially here. This is not one of those messages. Blessings come in many different ways. Maybe peace of mind. Maybe that you don't worry about stuff. Maybe that you're content. The Bible clearly speaks to this. And I'm only pulling out a few passages of Scripture. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus talks about that there is this link between our heart and our stuff. That there's this mysterious link. So I have in here some money, my wallet. And Jesus says, For where your heart is, there your treasure will be also, right? So if my heart is linked here, wherever, wherever this goes, they're linked. They're linked together. Our hearts will naturally flow, follow our money is what Jesus is teaching. So our hearts and our money are linked. And if your heart and attention are naturally drawn to where your money goes, then Jesus is concerned about that. And you know this to be true. You know that you pay much more attention... To where your money goes. Give you an example. A friend of mine a couple of years ago talked me into doing some investing of money on my own through this app called Robinhood. Have any of you heard of Robinhood? I was never interested in stocks, never interested in all that stuff before. But now because I'm invested in it, guess what I do each day? Check it every day. Because where my money is, that's where my heart is. And where my heart is, that's where my money is. So when it comes to money, our assumptions drive our behavior. And if my assumptions are wrong or false, then I will end up allowing money to master me. 
And you say, well, Tim, how can money master me? Well, let me just give you some indicators and ask some questions that may help you understand or may help you determine whether or not money is mastering you. If you ask a question like, where did it go? Money is mastering you. If you say, well, I looked at my tax returns and they say that we, had a, we went through a lot of money through this household last year. Where did it go? What do we have to show for it? That means money is mastering you. How did, I, how did we get in so much debt? Why do I feel so much pressure when it comes to finances? Why am I always wanting more and more and more? Why am I never content with what I have? Why am I driven by what's newer and bigger or faster or whatever? Why do I think that it's the last one of these that I will ever purchase and in three months, Apple comes out with a new one and I have to have it? Why this constant sense of discontentment? Why is it that Sometimes I can be so generous and make promises of generosity, but when it comes to actually giving the money, writing the check, or donating online, I just can't bring myself to do it. Why do I get uncomfortable or upset when money is brought up in church? Those are all indications that money may be mastering you. So Scripture is full of insight and wisdom about this, how to manage our finances, how to handle our stuff, but you may ask, well, what's the big deal? And let me answer that question real quickly. Here's the big deal for those of us who are followers of Christ. Listen very carefully, friends. It's impossible to be a fully devoted follower of Christ if he is not Lord over your finances as well. To be a fully devoted follower of Christ and remain uncommitted financially and having no intent to do what Scripture says is that we're thumbing our nose at part of the Scripture. Oh, pastor, talk about adultery. I'll give you an amen on that one. Oh, pastor, would you get up and would you give us a sermon on love? Would you give us a sermon on forgiveness? Oh, yes, I love that. But you better not talk about finances. Even though the Bible has a lot to say about it. So to come to worship and sing songs. By the way, wasn't the worship team awesome today? I love their music. To come to worship and sing songs and pray, God help me, God bless me, God deliver me. But keep your hands off of this area of my life is a slap in the face to our Savior. You see, money, friends, is not a financial issue. It's a spiritual issue. A deeply spiritual issue. You cannot be working towards being a fully devoted follower of Christ and not allow him to deal with and dive into the realm of your personal finances. I was pastoring a church uh, back east when I first started out in ministry. And so for my entire ministry career, I've been in ministry since 17. I started as a senior pastor when I was about 23. And every month in January we would do a series on finances. And it started in this church where I was pastoring. And after the second week of a series of four, one of the leaders in the church blew right past me, and he gave me an angry look, and his face was red. And he went out to his massive Dodge Ram truck that was raised and lifted, brand new. He had to kind of have a step stool to get up in it. You know what I'm talking about? We know those here in the South Valley, don't we? Big, big diesel. And so I went out to him and I said, hey, man, you seemed upset. What's going on? He said, I'm upset about what you're talking about. 
My finances are none of your business. And all you're doing is you've gone from preaching to meddling. And I don't like it. And I'm going to talk with the other leaders in the church. And if you continue this for the next two weeks, we're going to have to determine whether or not you should stay here. I stepped back and I said, can I say something out of love to you? Can I just ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, you don't, you don't give to God's work, do you? You're, you? You don't follow what the Bible is teaching about your finances, do you? And he said, why would you say that? I said, because I've never known anyone who is willing to allow God to lead them in their finances that are upset when a pastor preaches on money. It's only the ones who are really struggling. I said, please, just open your mind and heart that maybe God wants to work on that area in your life too. I was there for a little over three years. And on the day that I left that church to move to California, this man came to me and he handed me an envelope. And he said, don't read this until you get on the road. And so when we made our first stop, I opened up the envelope and he wrote this very long note just saying, thank you for challenging me. I just started listening and reading and our family has been so blessed. I'm not saying financially, but we've been so blessed. Thank you for challenging me. So money is a deeply spiritual issue and if that scares you, it shouldn't. Because no one who follows biblical principles gets led astray. But we cannot experience the blessings financially of God, His blessings financially, if we are violating His principles because God does not bless our disobedience. So this is really good news today. So the question for today is this. The big question. How does God view money and possessions? How does, how does he think about them? Because if we want to experience a life change in any area, it's good to ask, God, how do you view this? So if you want God's understanding of marriage, how, God, how do you view marriage? How do you view relationships? How do you view forgiveness? How do you view love? Because here's what the big principle is to remember. When we see as God sees, we're more likely to do as God says. So how does God view our money? And some of you are already here saying, Oh boy, I think he wants it all. Let me put your heart at ease and your mind at ease. That's not true. In fact, he doesn't need your money or your stuff. You know what God's after? Your heart. But guess what your heart is linked to? Your money and stuff. So don't think that God couldn't take it if he didn't want to. If the government can, don't you think that he can too? So today I'm going to walk through a parable of Jesus. And I'll please hear what I'm saying. This is not a sermon about what I want from you. This is a sermon about what I want for you. 
In Luke 16, verses 1 through 15, that's where we're going to be, this parable. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions, so he called him in and he asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The rich man says, basically, word on the street is that you're mismanaging my money. And I don't like it. So you're not going to be my manager, my money manager anymore. And so the money manager in verse 3 says, the manager said to himself, what shall I do? What's the next word? Now. Uh-oh, I've got some time here. He's given me time to, to settle accounts. What must I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when, everybody say when, when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. And so what the money manager is saying is, look, I've got a little bit of time, and I've got a little bit of opportunity to secure for myself something later on down the road. You follow me? A little bit of time, a little bit of opportunity to secure something for my future. Verses 5 through 7. So this manager, he called each one in, his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much money do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. It's deal day. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? And he said, well, I owe a thousand bushels of wheat. And he replied, "Uh, take your bill and make it 800. It's deal day. And boy, I bet the debtors are happy about that. How many of you would like the bank to call you and say, you know what, how much do you owe on your home? Let's cut it in half. People who were hearing this parable must have been thinking, this dude is one crooked guy. He just ripped off his master. And I'm confused about Jesus and his parable, where he's going at this point. I mean, surely there's going to be this line where Jesus rips on this guy, right? Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. What? Do the words of Jesus ever confuse any of you? Is it just me? He commended him for acting shrewdly. So so the, the owner says to this manager, the rich man says, I've got to hand it to you. You realize that you have a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity to secure for yourself something later on. And you're one shrewd dude. Which means clever. The Greek word used there in the New Testament was a morally neutral term which speaks of common sense. You're showing common sense. You have keen foresight is what it means. You have practical intelligence. You have some smarts. You're being prudent. You're one shrewd dude. Got to hand it to you. You took a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity and you did something about it. Now, we all know this, that we're taught that we have to do this in life. My, my wife and I are towards the very tail end. Hopefully, it's going to happen tomorrow where we move into a new home. And so when we, when we started the process and our bid was accepted on the home, which is a miracle at this time in the valley in and of itself, we knew that once they said, okay, it's, it's, it's in process, that we have a little bit of time, Right? A little bit of opportunity 
to get things ready to move. You don't want to wait to the last minute. Have any of you ever done that? That's ridiculous, isn't it? So, is Jesus saying that we should become dishonest with our money? Well, then he explains in the latter part of verse 8, he says, For the people, this is Jesus' commentary on this parable, For the people of this world are more shrewd. They show more common sense. They're more clever. They have keen foresight in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Jesus is saying people who do not believe in life after death, uh, people who do not believe what we believe, the people of the world who do not believe in eternity, who don't think there's any much more to this life, the people in the world understand that you have a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity to secure your future If people of the world who do not believe in eternity think that way, then what is in the world wrong with people who believe in an eternity? So if you believe in heaven, if you believe that there's more to life than just spending it here on earth, if you believe in eternity, then you take a page out of this guy's playbook. You realize you have a little bit of time, a little bit of opportunity to secure something for your future. Verse 9, he says, I tell you, Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Huh? Anybody confused? I'm going to look at three new lenses to view money and possessions from. The first that we see in this passage of Scripture is that God sees our money and possessions as a tool. As a tool. God says, I see your money and possessions as a tool in aiding to tell people about God and furthering His kingdom work. To use your temporary stuff as a tool so that you can introduce people to the love of the Father. And people, Jesus is saying in this passage, people will walk up to you who maybe you not even know that welcome you into eternity because you've done something to make an eternal difference for people. So suppose a young girl comes up to you when you die and you've accepted Christ and you go to heaven. A young girl walks up to you and she says, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm here because of you. And you say, well, wait a minute. I don't know you. You, Oh, no, no, no. You remember when you sent money to that orphanage in Thailand? I'm one of the little kids that was served and saved. Thank you. Or a young man comes up to me and he says, hey, Tim, thank you. Thank you. I'm here because of you. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, you gave to some work to further my education. And through that education, I learned about Jesus. Thank you. Or maybe he would say to South Valley Church, as you come in, thank you for giving to South Valley Church because of the generosity of your church. I was able to eat because of the generosity of your church. Our community was made stronger because of the message of generosity from South Valley Church. Thousands came into the kingdom. Thank you for being a part of that. The implication is that God sees our stuff and money as a tool to use our worldly wealth, to leverage it so that the Father can build His kingdom and more people can be in heaven. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 16. He said, don't store up for yourself treasure here on earth. Store up treasure in heaven. And I've watched people who've grasped this principle 
and applied it to their life. I watched a guy who was in our church in Clovis who owned a tow truck business, who was so grasped by this, not a wealthy man by any means, but he said, you know what I'm going to do? For a couple of days a week when I'm off, I'm just going to make myself available. I'm going to go to police stations and wherever and make myself available to do towing for people for free. Because God's blessed me with this truck. I've known individuals who have U-Haul types of trailers and they help people move. You can come to my house if you have that and help. <laughs> I've known people who've given minivans and SUVs for youth to use on mission trips to Mexico or beach trips. I've known people who've had boats who say, can we take the youth out and have some fun on the water at the lake? One couple in the church that I currently pastor, Chris and Antoinette Wagner, every Friday evening, they open up their home for college kids. And they have about 30 college kids that come for free food and to do a little Bible study. They said, God gave us this home, our resources. Why, why would we not share it? It's a tool. I've known people who gave up their RVs for people impacted by the Shaver Lake Creek fires. I know of a church in Fort Collins, Colorado, where the group, there was a group of men in that church who were mechanics. And they said, well, we don't have much to give. And they got together and said, well, what could we give? I mean, how could we use what God has given us in terms of our knowledge and what we could do? What could we do? And so they started, they said, well, let's do a car care clinic for single moms because there was a large portion of single moms in their community and so they advertised it got it all together I won't I won't make it real long but what they decided to do is that they would welcome any single mom and you could uh, come in and get a free oil change and the ladies of the church got jealous they said why can't we be a part of that and they said well what would you do they said well a lot of us have friends that do nails and salon stuff and some of us do why not, while the moms wait, we give them petties and manis? And the guys were like, why can't we have those? I mean, I need one bad. A businessman in town heard, heard about it. He owned a car dealership. He was not even a follower of Christ. Came to the guys who were organizing and said, do you think any of those single moms would need new tires? They said, we don't even know who's going to show up. And he gave them a huge stack of coupons for free tires. The church exploded an impact for their community. They were using their resources as a tool. Jesus says use it. Use it. Oh man, I could go on. The stories are endless. We were doing a capital campaign at the church where we were building a new building and a family who was big into four-wheeling had a, a Jeep CJ7 that was all decked out. They had spent thousands and thousands of dollars on this and they came to me one day and said, we use this six times a year. We're selling it and giving the money to the campaign. And then... You should have seen their faces when the 800th person was baptized in our church. You see, there's unspeakable joy when we use our money and possessions as a tool. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how your financial decisions would be different if you evaluated all your financial decisions that way? 
You walk into your house and say, hey, what can we, how can we use this as a tool? You have some sort of collection, maybe it's in storage, and you say, how can I, can I sell that and maybe use that to help some needy people? You see, too many times we see it not as a tool, our money and possessions, but in churches, sadly, what I see is many people see their money, especially not as a tool, but as a way to bribe the leadership. Oh, can I talk about that for a minute? Like the man who came up to me, who was the largest donor in a church that I pastored, and he gave a lot, a lot. And he said, I don't like some of the decisions that are being made, and I'm going to withhold my money until you change them the way that I want. And I went, oh, no, 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 no. Dear friend, that's not a conversation you need to have with me. That's a conversation you need to have with Jesus because you're robbing him. You're not robbing me. And I said, and by the way, I am not your prostitute. You're not going to pay me to get me to do something for you. And you don't do that with this church. So until your heart is right, I would rather us be tanking financially than to be held captive by something that is not biblical. In verse 10, Jesus said, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? In other words, he's saying there's somebody watching. There's somebody watching. God is evaluating what we're doing with our stuff. Verse 12, he says, And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? This sounds an awful lot like a test. So God sees, when he looks at money and possession, he sees it as a tool. Secondly, it's a test. God says, I'm looking for people in churches who are trustworthy. Because if you can be trustworthy with a little, you can be trustworthy with more. I run into people all the time, Well, Tim, if I had more, I would give more. Really? Because that's not what Jesus is saying at all. It's not about what you would do if and when. It's about what you're doing right now with what you currently have. Like the pastor who spoke on giving in a farming community and the man came up to him and he said, Pastor, that was a great sermon. I tell you what, if I had a hundred cows, I'd give you half of them. And the pastor said, really? He said, yep. He said, I tell you what, if I had, if I had 50 sheep, I'd give the church 25. And the pastor said, Really? He said, yeah. A pastor said, well, if you had two pigs, would you give one of them? And the man said, now wait a minute, pastor, you know I have two pigs. <laughs> God is watching how we use our stuff, and he honors us as we honor him. How would that change our perspective? Everybody Okay. Okay, only, only about 40 more minutes and we'll be okay. <laughs> Verse 13, no one can serve two masters, Jesus says. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some translations it says mammon, which means money and stuff. So thirdly, God sees our money and possessions as a trademark. He sees it as a tool. He sees it as a test and as a trademark. It indicates who I belong to. 
So many of you know I've shared, I grew up in West Virginia. Anybody know where that is? That is a state within the United States of America. It's not part of Virginia. It is its own state, West Virginia. So if I were to come up here today, and I probably would have worn one, but it's packed up, and I would have had one of my shirts on that has a big WV on it, and it's gold and blue, you would say, oh, he's representing West Virginia. I'm wearing a trademark, right? Ladies, if you see somebody walking around that have Magnolia written on something, you know that that's a trademark for who? Chip and Joanna Gaines. These guys had no clue what I was talking about. If you see somebody walk in with silver and black and they've got an emblem on that is a, a skull and crossbones, that would indicate what? That they like losers. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally, and, and by the way, my name is Tim Brown. So uh, for those of you who are Raiders fans, you know who I'm talking about. So I'll leave it at that. So the way I use my money is a trademark. It's an indication of whose we really are, who we really serve. The way we manage our stuff indicates if God has our heart or not. Verses 14 and 15, the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and they were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. The Pharisees sneered. This talk made the religious people uncomfortable. Ooh. They had a lot of money and they were more concerned with their personal pleasures than they were a future reward. They were more concerned about their personal pleasures than in helping further the kingdom that they said that they were a part of. Can you imagine how, how fewer fights that we would have in our home over money if we viewed money this way? We would be asking things like this. How can I best use this, not just for me, but for others? How can I use this as an indication of my worship for a God who's given me everything? If this scares you and this makes you unhappy... Please hear me. I'm not trying to make you unhappy. I'm trying to help you understand and realize something you already know. That money and possessions will not bring you fulfillment. That is reserved for Jesus Christ alone. You're designed that way. So I get caught up in it. We have to stop living like our happiness is dependent upon anything but God and what he wants to do with us. And I've met very few people who live this way who want to go back because it's too freeing. So when I realize that my money is a tool, a test, and a trademark, I'll manage it differently. I'm going to close with a picture. I'll show you this picture. This guy here, we baptized at First Baptist Church of Clovis when I was the pastor there. He was 99 years old. When he came to know Christ. His name is Ken Wright. And I just realized I look really young in that picture. Uh, and here, here's why. He's, he, you see, all, we're all cracking up. I mean, because it was, this was like a few weeks, a few weeks earlier he came to know Christ. And he, so he gets in the water. And we're trying to tell him, Ken, 
you've got your wallet in your back pocket. And we're thinking he can't hear us. Ken, because he had a little heart, he was hard. Ken, you've got your wallet. He jumps down into the baptistry. We're like, Ken, you've got your, your wallet. And he said, oh, no, 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 pastors. If I'm going to do this thing, then I want my money baptized too. Many of us, when we come into the baptistry, if we're honest, we say, baptize every part of me, Lord, but this. You have no business with this. We don't want to live that way. We want to live fully committed lives. Let him mess with every area of our lives. Because he gave everything for us. And we're going to remember that in the next few minutes. We're going to participate in receiving elements that are symbolic of Christ's body and broken, uh, his broken body and his shed blood. Now I'm going to pray. If you haven't had the opportunity to grab those on side tables and in the back, you have the little communion cups. And we'll come back to that in just a minute, okay? But will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in this moment. A moment where I've been challenged in preparing this message. A moment where a lot of people may have. It's made a lot of people uncomfortable, and I know that. A moment where we just want to pause and... We just want to remember... That you gave everything so that we could live in freedom. For goodness sakes, we call ourselves Christians. Little Jesuses. Followers of Christ. And yet so often, we won't follow the teaching that you clearly bring our way. So forgive us. Help us. This is scary stuff. But we do remember you in this moment. In Jesus' name. Scripture tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sharing a Passover meal with his disciples. And he brought new meaning to that Passover meal. That that Passover meal would be representative now of his broken body and his shed blood. And he said, anytime you take this, I want you to remember me. Remember. And I'll, I'll lead you through all the eating and drinking if you want to hold on just for a second. I hear you ripping those things. I know you need to be careful. He says, I want you to remember something. And this is why we do this. Jesus is taking care of our past. By his death, burial, and resurrection, there's nothing in our life that he can't save us from. Your past is taken care of. But what's beautiful also is our present is taken care of. This is something that's often mysterious about this moment of communion, the Lord's Supper, is that he's present with us right now in this very moment. So he didn't just save us back then. He's got ongoing work right now. I'm happy for that. 
And then this is also a reference to a thing and a future that's going to happen. For those of us who know Christ, we know that when we breathe our last here on earth, we're entering into a glorious future. Now I want you to take time. Scripture says that during this time you should take time, pause and reflect. and Listen to the words of this next song. And then midway through I'll come back and we'll eat and drink together. a table just for you and me break the bread and pour the wine perfect union nothing in between I am yours and you are mine you're still take your cups. For those of you who are watching at home, if you want to get something to participate, a piece of bread, uh, even water if you don't have anything that's red color. Often joke, I don't mean to make light of this, but I was with a group of guys in seminary. We went on a hike and um, we just felt compelled at the moment to share the Lord's Supper together. But all we had was chips and Mountain Dew. But man, it was a beautiful time. So be very careful as you pull back that top piece of plastic. And if you'll grab that wafer that's on top there. This is a symbol of Christ's broken body. As you eat it, remember him. Now, if you'll peel back the top on that juice, be very careful because these things are sticky. Symbol of Christ's shed blood given so all of us could know forgiveness of sins. Let's drink and remember him. Thank you, Lord.
Lord, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for an opportunity to commune with you and reflect on just how awesome of a guard you are. You paid the ultimate price, Lord. Help us to hold that in our heart. Help us to go out into the world and be your light, Lord. We give you all the praise in your name. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.